What is the difference between a typical chain restaurant and a five-star restaurant? One that you go to when you want something cheap and just because you're hungry, and one that you rave about to your friends and can't wait to eat at again. Both serve food and can satisfy your hunger, but one focuses on serving food while the other focuses on the dining experience. Most law firms are like that chain restaurant, focusing on solving their clients' legal issues. And these firms can be fairly successful. But it is the five-star firms that have raving fans, that get repeat clients and client referrals, and they're able to really grow and thrive. How do you take your firm from typical to five-star? Keep listening. I'm Brad Miller. And this podcast will help you transform your law practice through deliberate design, core business competency, mental mastery, and powerful positioning so that you can have a practice that gives you the life you want, not a life that is the mercy of your practice. If you want to stop struggling, spend more time with your family, live a life of abundance, and make a difference in the lives of your clients, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the New Modern Lawyer Podcast. Today, I want to talk about the little things, those details when it comes to the experience of a client working with your law firm. Now, the client experience is one of the three pillars of what I call the new modern law practice. And specifically, the client experience is how easy and pleasant it is for a client to work with you and your firm. So how enjoyable is it um, when a client is working with you? when they are dealing with you through their case. Now, most law firms, you know, probably 75% of all law firms, the client experience is less than ideal. Um, If you ask a client, most likely they would say, it was okay. It was so-so. You know, it was fine. Um, you know, they might say, you know what, this was, it was bad. I didn't really have a pleasant experience. And again, that's a, a probably majority of law firms out there, of, of clients of law firms, particularly solo and small firms out there, will say that eh, it was, it was okay. It wasn't great. And you and your practice very well may be in that percentage, in that group of that majority of law practices of solo small firms where your client experience is just kind of okay. You know, I mean, hopefully it's not awful or terrible, um, but it's, it's, it could be better. You know? Now, how do you know if that's the case for your law firm? You know, I mean, unless your clients have specifically told you um, that, you know, this was a problem or that was a problem or that there was things that could have done better or that maybe they just didn't really enjoy working with you. You know, unless they say that, and, and nine times out of 10, they're not going to do that. Most of the time, clients are not going to come to you and talk about the problems they had. Um, even if you ask them, oftentimes, you know, there are firms who will do kind of post-case uh, um, sessions with, with a client or they're sending a survey or something, trying to get client opinions. Oftentimes, the clients won't really tell or they're maybe afraid to tell what they really feel about what it was like working with the lawyer. But you can still tell by their actions what their thoughts were about working with your firm. You know, 
um, a couple ways that you can tell. So if you have a lot of clients that you work with and none of them seem to ever come back to you for additional work. So let's say that you do business work for your clients. You know, you work with small businesses and you have a relatively broad range of services that you can provide. You know, you help maybe you help a business set up and, and you can help them with some contracts, things like that. You know, do you notice that once you do the initial work for the client that they never come back to you, that they don't call back with additional issues or questions for you, or maybe you even heard that they were working with another law firm. Now, some practice areas aren't as conducive to repeat work from businesses or from clients. You know, if you, if your focus is heavily on probate, let's say, um, your clients are deceased, right? And so they're probably not going to be coming back with you for the additional work. If you do personal injury work, you know, I don't know the percentages, but my guess is that most people who are part of a personal injury case have sustained some sort of a, of a significant injury, um, you know, let's say in an in a, in a, uh, automobile accident or something like that. Most of the time, they go through maybe one in their life. They probably don't have additional you know, accidents or things that happen throughout the course of their life that they come back to you. So maybe they aren't coming back to you. Know? So there, there could be some areas some practice areas where it's just not as conducive to repeat business. But there's a lot of places and a lot of practice areas where they are. I mean, even in criminal defense, you know, I did criminal defense for a while and typically a person does not just get one case against them. Typically they'll get one thing and then they'll get something else. And there's oftentimes there's a pattern involved and you'll see them a couple different times. Um, or if you're doing, let's say, you help people uh, negotiate debts, you know, people who are running into problems with collectors, things like that, collection agencies, you know, they may come to you because they need help with a collection issue. You know, there's someone's coming after them and they need something resolved. Chances are good they're going to be coming back. You know, they're they're likely to come back with additional issues, additional uh, financial problems, additional debt collectors that need to be dealt with, or, um, you know, maybe they have tax issues, uh, delinquent tax bills that need to be taken care of and handled and things. So oftentimes the client will have multiple legal issues. It's not just one like that. Um, and so if you have find that clients are not coming back to you with additional work that you hit, it's kind of a one and done situation, even though it's very foreseeable that they could have additional work that you could help them with. If that's the case, then it's possible, you know, it's actually very likely that the client experience in your practice, in your firm, isn't that great. They aren't, you know, your clients aren't really enjoying working with you. Or if you um, don't get a lot of client referrals, you know, if you uh, mostly get clients come to you and maybe they find you through your website um, social media, you know, maybe get an SEO campaign or, I mean, it could even be, you know, billboards and television campaigns, you know, whatever it might be, you know, but you find that clients aren't coming to you, prospects aren't coming to you because they're referred by other clients of yours. 
you know maybe they were referred by a, another attorney or another or an account or something but other clients aren't really referring people to you that could also be a sign that the clients that you have aren't really enjoying the experience working with you and so they're not feeling comfortable referring you to friends or neighbors or whatever like that now again there are practice areas where um, referrals are less likely to happen from from clients criminal law for instance is a great example of that off you know most of the time not not always but a lot of the time a criminal client is not going to want to um, tell everyone else that they have had a criminal situation. You know, they're not going to advertise that they've been working with a criminal lawyer. And if someone runs into a problem where they need a criminal lawyer, they often aren't asking, um, you know, their friends. Um, Maybe they are asking some maybe close friends or close family they trust, but they're not casting a wide net and asking colleagues, coworkers, people like that, um, who they're using. You know, most of the time, um, I think criminal defense, you know, you're getting, if you get referrals, it's coming from people who are close within your circle that you trust deeply um, or other professionals, people like that, that you again, trust and are willing to admit that you have a legal issue that you need a lawyer, uh, a criminal lawyer from, if that's the case. So there are some, again, practice areas where referrals from current clients or former clients aren't very likely. But again, if you've got one of those practice areas where, you know, it's very. It would be very easy for someone to refer you estate planning. Let's say, you know, if you find that you're not getting a lot of referrals from other estate planning clients, it could be that your current clients aren't having a great experience when they work with you. And the third thing that sometimes can pop up is if you find that your clients are slow to pay. You know, if the work is done. You send the clients a bill and they don't pay. The payment doesn't come in. It comes in late. It comes in slow. You have to reach out to the client um, several different times and, and follow up with them before maybe you finally get paid or or just really a hassle and a struggle to collect uh, and get paid from the, for the work that you do. If this is the case, if you find this happening a lot particularly, this can be a very good indication that clients aren't really happy working with you, that something about the experience has not been favorable and has not made them happy. You know, even if you have the, you know, it got them a great result. Uh, there's something in that's causing that. And, and I've run into that in the past myself where I've had clients where I thought that things went well. I was able to get um, their issue uh, resolved to what I felt was satisfaction to what they were hoping to get. And payment was slow. You know, and oftentimes I would find that that was that something happened in the in the representation during the case I was working with them that they weren't really happy with. You know, um, and again, most of the time they don't tell you this. They're not going to come and say, "Hey, Brad, I've got a problem with you. I've got a problem here and there." The only way you find these out is by picking up on different signs. Um, things that aren't happening, things that are going, that are, things are going wrong, and again, it's clients slow, being slow to pay, being very difficult to collect from clients, and again, especially if it's more than just one, you know, you'll get a client here and there, one or two off that that might be pay slow, and and that's you know that happens. People, you know, have money gets tied or they forget or or just you know whatever. But if this becomes a regular thing where clients are slow to pay, that can be a sign that the client experience with your firm is not great. 
Now, why why is this? Why might your client experience of working with your practice not be great? I mean, obviously, you know, my guess is that if you're listening to this podcast, if if you are a solo or a small firm lawyer, you want to help your clients. You know, you're in the pre- in the law because you want to be able to solve problems. You know, you want to help clients. And so, you know, you're not trying to have a poor client experience. You know, I don't know of anybody out there, any lawyers or otherwise, that want to provide a bad experience for their clients. So how does this happen? You know, there's something that we're not intending to do. Well, I think a lot of the time, the client experience kind of slips. It, you know, it, it doesn't get the attention it deserves because we as lawyers are f- focused so much on practicing, on trying to get the results for our clients that we forget about some of these little things, some of these details when it comes to working with them. You know, some of the things regarding the relationship um, for the clients. You know, and so it can be just little things. And most of the time it is little things that that, that are the problem here that, that cause this. So uh, recently my wife and I went to a hotel for kind of a um, a quiet, romantic kind of a getaway for a weekend for my, you know, from, from my daughter and everything else. So we, you know, booked a hotel for the weekend and it was, you know, a little less than an hour away um, in an area. And, and really we wanted to go just for some quiet time, you know, for the most of the time we sat there and we just kind of, you know, read and just kind of had some time for ourselves, some peace and quiet where we didn't have to worry about other people, my daughter and other people around. And for the most part, it was a good weekend. But there were some things that we ran into at the hotel, some details and things like that that got missed that we noticed. The first thing was that when we got into the room, the temperature was a little cool. So, you know, here in Ohio, it's wintertime when I'm recording this. And generally, that means that it's probably cold, possibly, you know. And when we were, when we were at the hotel, it was cold like this. It was snowy. Uh, there was snow on the ground outside, and inside the room it was a little chilly. It was a little cooler than we'd like. I think it was, I don't know, maybe mid-60s Fahrenheit, um, and we were looking for something a little bit warmer. And the room had a thermostat for the room, uh, a digital thermostat where you could control you know, the air and the heat or whatnot and temperatures or whatever. Well, both my wife and I both were trying to figure out how to raise the temperature how to you know make the some warm air come um come out of the the um the vents or whatever to, to warm things up a little bit and neither of us could really figure it out um it it, it seemed like it should be easy <laughs> you know the, the digital th- thermostat you know you push the temperature up and you you know you could see the temperature going up and whatnot and then you'd stop and it would go back down again <laughs> and nothing would happen or you could get the air to finally kick on but the air was kind of cool and it wasn't warm coming out. And so throughout the weekend, we had a heck of a time trying to figure out how to use the thermostat in the room. Now, was it a big, huge deal? No. I mean, the room wasn't so cold that we were bundled in blankets or anything else like that. And it was just a little cooler than we'd like it to be, you know, for lounging around. Like I said, we were mainly doing reading and watching television and things. And so we just kind of went a little bit warmer, um, but we couldn't figure out how to get the thermostat to work. 
And there are no directions anywhere to tell us how either. So that was the first thing we noticed. When we went to open the curtain, so our room has curtain, had, you know, one wall was windows and had curtains. And typically in a hotel, you'll have two sets of curtains. At least most of the ones that I've been in has two sets. You have one set, which is kind of a, a sheer. So it's something where light can pass through, but it gives privacy so people aren't looking straight through at you, right? And then the second curtain is usually some sort of like a blackout curtain, something that's, that blocks out light so that you close it at night and then it helps you, you know, makes the room dark to help you sleep. You don't have, you don't have light coming in from outside. When we went to open the to to set the curtains, we noticed that the curtains were installed backwards. So by that I mean that usually you'll have the blackout curtain on the inside. Okay, so if you've got both of the curtains closed, the sheer and the blackout curtain, the blackout curtain will be towards you on the inside. So that way you can open up the blackout curtain and still have the shears. Right, you still can get light in without having the window totally you know, open with nothing in there to kind of block people from seeing you. Right. Um, and then again, when you're ready to, to turn to, to, um, to, to, to go to bed, to go to sleep or whatnot, you want to close, turn the lights off and keep the light from coming in. Then what you do is you just slide the blackout curtain over, um, and cover up in this room though, they were backwards. So the blackout curtain was actually on the window side and the shear was on the inside. Meaning that when we were ready to go to bed, we first close the blackout curtain and then the shear on top. But in the morning, when we wanted some sunlight to come in, we had to open up the shear first to be able to get to the blackout curtain, open the blackout curtain, and then close the shear back over top of it. All right. So that's an extra step in there. So again, typically that's, you know, they're doing the other way around. So it's easier to do. Uh, but in this room, the curtains were backwards. Again, not a huge deal. It didn't really affect anything. It was just a little extra step, a little extra hassle for us there. Okay. Then in the bathroom, when you would stand, you know, you have the faucet, you have the sink with the mirror and all that. The faucet on the bathroom sink was off center. Now, typically in a bathroom, you know, you'll have your sink and you'll have a faucet kind of centered at the top of the, of the, of the sink on the far side of the sink from you. You know, and I'll, sometimes I'll be like purposefully on the side or something, you know, whatever. But most of the time, you know, more commonly, I think, um, you know, most sinks, the faucet is just centered on the far side of the sink from, from where you are. For our sink though, in this hotel room, it was all center a little bit. And not, you know, off enough that you would say, oh, that's just part of the design or part of the, you know, how it's, you know, it's supposed to be. But it was just off just enough to draw my attention that it was wrong. Something just didn't quite look right. And I couldn't figure out what it was at first. Like, what's, what's wrong with this sink? What doesn't look right here? And it was that that faucet was not off center. It wasn't lined up. It wasn't centered properly. You know, my wife, I, you know, she pointed out my wife and she agreed that, yep, it's, it's off center. Again, not a big issue. It didn't impact the water coming out of it at all or our ability to use the sink, but it was just a little detail there, just something that was off that wasn't quite what it was expected or quite, you know, I don't want to say right, but, you know, quite wasn't the way it was probably supposed to be designed for the sink. 
also in the bathroom we had a large tub and it was one of the tubs where you can where it's got um kind of the jets kind of a i don't know the the jacuzzi jets or whatever to call it um so you can kind of sit in there and relax and it's not a huge tub but it's big enough that a person can kind of sit in there and to kind of help you get in and out there are handles on you know kind of on the inside there so that if you want to get yourself up you can use to pull yourself up well when we tried to use the handles they were loose they wiggled you know, so I'd grab onto the, the handle, and rather than having something you know solid and firm there, it kind of wiggled in my hand to the point where at first I was almost concerned that you know is it going to come off of my hand, you know, can, is it sturdy enough to use, and and ultimately it was you know I was able to use it to to pull myself up, but it was you know but they were loose they they weren't you know they need to be tightened or or something. Yet again, not a huge issue. You know, I didn't fall. They still held me. I was able to pull myself up by them, all that stuff. But it was just a little detail, just a little thing like that. Also with the bathroom then, for part of one of the days we had, um, there was no hot water. So we, you know, I went to the sink. I, I think I was going to the bathroom, went to wash my hands and went to use the sink and couldn't get any hot water out of it. You know, it got maybe tepid at best, you know, maybe a little kind of a little lukewarm, if, if that. Um, and we, you know, so no actual hot water. So not no hot water to take a shower, which is what my wife was getting ready to do um, because we were had plans for dinner that night. So she was able to get in the shower because there's no hot water. You know, and we called down to the front desk and mentioned it. And and they, you know, let us know that there was a hot water issue going on with the whole hotel. And so they were they'd be working on as we were speaking, and and the water did finally. We got hot water later that evening when we got back from dinners, you know, a couple hours later, you know. So again, it wasn't a huge deal. Um, you know, my wife was able to shower after she got back, you know, rather than before. But um, again, it's just a little detail, you know. And and I know this is something that just happens. You know, there was an issue with the whole hotel's hot water. But it's just again another example of just a little detail, you know, just a couple. You know, and that was kind of the theme. Just these little details of things over the weekend at this hotel. Another thing, the Wi-Fi. This this hotel had complimentary Wi-Fi. Okay, which is you know that's great. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of hotels where they force you to pay if you want to use the Wi-Fi. So it was nice that it was included um, as part of the the. Um, the fee, the the rental for the uh, the the cost, you know, in the in the, in the Wi-Fi it was it was relatively fast. I didn't have any problems with the connection or everything else, but it was a an unsecured Wi-Fi connection. So I went to connect to it. All I had to do was just click on the name of it, you know, which was like you know hotel name guest or something, and I connected right to it without any issues. I didn't have to log in, I didn't have to put a room number in, I didn't need a password or anything, and I didn't test it, so I don't know the extent of how far the Wi-Fi re- went would go. Like if you were able to drive past the hotel, would you, you know sit in the parking lot? Could you access the Wi-Fi? Um, you know, but you know. The fact that this was an unsecured Wi-Fi meant that someone could off the street come in and gain access to this this uh, this network and start using it to uh, to go after the data, the things that we were doing on on the internet, on the network. 
you know, um, you know, through packet sniffing or whatever things that they call it, um, you know, able to pull up and find out what I was doing and intercept data and things like that, all because the Wi-Fi was not secured. You know, um, you know, I've been to hotels where you've had to put in like a password, like oftentimes like right by a phone. Or, you know, maybe there'll be like a, um, a book of rules and, and guidelines and, you know, things like information for the hotel room. They'll say, here's the Wi-Fi password for your room. And so you type in the password and that's what you use to connect. But this one didn't have anything. Again, it was good to have it. But because it wasn't secure, I didn't feel comfortable using it for anything, um, you know, that I need that I that was secure. I was worried about getting intercepted without connecting to a VPN. Again, just another little thing. Did it interrupt the weekend? No. Did it have a, a, a real an impact? Really? No, not, not really. No. But it was just one other little detail that was missed that was not there. Finally, the bed. So the bed frame was a large wooden had a large wooden bed. The bed, excuse me, um, was on a large wooden bed frame. And the way that the room was oriented, um, you know, to get a, every time I would go to walk around the bed to get over to my side, you know, where there's my nightstand, I had my clothes and everything else. Almost every time I went around there, I would bump into the corner of the bed to the point where the last time I did it, I actually kind of put a little bit of a gash in my leg and my, and, um, you know, had a little bit of a blood come out because of the way that the the bed i don't know if it was the positioning um you know what what exactly was the issue with it but the way it was sticking out and the way you had to walk to get around the bed in that corner every time i was running past it walking past it i was hitting it with my leg did it impact the weekend not really i mean my leg was a little sore um you know from that um but by and large, it didn't impact the reason we went there was for peace and quiet. You know, we were still able to have that. But it's just one more little thing, one more detail. And and that was, unfortunately, kind of the theme of the weekend. I mean, we had, like, our, our goal for the weekend was to be able to have, you know, just a couple days just for the two of us, you know, my wife and myself. You know, we had a dinner planned. We just wanted some quiet time to ourselves where we just sit. Um, we didn't really have anything special planned to, that we wanted to do. Um, the hotel had a pool my wife wanted to be able to use. But we just wanted to be able to sit and relax and maybe read a book, watch some television, just kind of decompress and get away for the weekend. And so were we able to do that? Yes. You know, we were able to successfully sit there and relax and have a rest, restful weekend. And so on that so from that standpoint, the goal that we had was accomplished. You know, the hotel did the main thing it was there for. It was to provide us with that, um, with the space to do that, right? But all those little details that were missed, all those things like that just really added up. And so the weekend really wasn't as enjoyable as it could have been because what ended up happening was after we started noticing a few things like, the sink, the faucet, and the um, the curtains being installed backwards. Then we started looking for other things, and started you know seeing what else in the room, what else in the hotel wasn't 
wasn't right? You know, where were their issues? You know, where were their details that weren't right there? You know, and and extended to the, you know, we went to eat at the at the, one of the restaurants inside the hotel and it extended into there. You know, we were looking at the, at the details there when we were walking down the hallways, we were looking at some of the details and, and it was just all these little things that at the end of the day, we got what we paid for. You know, we wanted a room, some quiet time to the two of us. And we got that. But looking back at it now, I'm not really sure if I would recommend that hotel to others or if the next time that we were looking for a weekend getaway trip that we would go back to that hotel. You know, if we decide to stay in the same area again, it's nothing to do with the actual stay really because the stay was fine. Like the room, the bed was comfortable. Like there was a television. We were able to watch like all this, you know, those, the main things were fine. But it was the little details. It was just little things that made me kind of wonder whether or not the hotel was really paying attention. You know, they were fixated on the big stuff, which is important, obviously, that you're, you know, that they were able to provide a bed and, you know, that kind of stuff. But they were missing a lot of the little things like that. You know, and it wasn't just one thing. You know, it would be different if it was just one thing. If, you know what, the, the, sh- the, um, the handles in the tub were a little bit loose. Okay, you know, that happens. That's you know, not a big deal. But it was one thing after another um, that that r- caused us, that got our attention, you know. And the same stuff can happen to you in your law practice when it comes to clients working with you. Again, you, you know, I'm sure that you want to help your, solve your client's problems. Like, that's your main focus, Right. Clients come to you, you want to help solve whatever issue they may have, whether that's something that's going to require litigation that they need help with, whether that's um, transactional work, you know, contracts, documents, whatever it might be, you want to be able to help solve their problems. But the problem is, is we often get so wrapped up in those things that we forget, that we neglect the little things that really make up the client relationship when I think about it. One of those things that oftentimes is kind of neglected, and this is the big one, um, is communication. Communication between you, um, your staff, other people in your firm, and the client. Now, I know as lawyers, we are very busy, and by and large, the law is a reactive profession, meaning that we spend most of our time reacting to things. A problem comes, we have to react and respond to it. There's a deadline, we have to react and respond to the deadline. Someone calls us that needs something, we respond and react, or an email, or whatever. We're always reacting to things, putting out fires, things like that. You know, really, do we really get to be proactive? And this can bleed into client communications as well. Oftentimes, lawyers and I am... Uh, you know, and, and to be transparent, I'm not the greatest when it comes to this either. You know, oftentimes we are reactive when it comes to client communications. We only communicate with our clients when they reach out to us. So if they want information, you know, they say, hey, what's going on with my case? They reach out to us and we respond and say, oh, well, here's what's going on, A, B, C, D, right? Rarely do we actually go and say, hey, client, I haven't talked to you in a while, Wanted to let you know what was going on in your case. So far, we've done A, B, and C. 
we're waiting on D. Uh, maybe the court has to rule on something or opposing the opposing party is doing something right now or, or whatever. You know, here's what's going on in your case right now. You know, rarely do we as lawyers do that. And that means that clients oftentimes are feeling like we are ignoring them. We aren't really caring about them because they don't hear from us. You know, the only way they find out what's going on about their case, the only way they ever oftentimes get to talk to us or someone in our firm is when they reach out to us, you know, or maybe the problem is that the client call, um, contacts us, reaches out to us, and it takes a while to get back to them. You know, how many times have you gotten an email from a client or a phone call from a client and you've made a note to yourself that, hey, I need to respond to this client. I I got, you know, a list of things I have to get done first, but once that's done, I'm going to get back to them. And it gets kind of put on your list and then something else comes up. And then well, something else comes up and a couple other things that, that come to your attention that need to be done more immediately. And before you know it, it's a couple of days and you haven't got back to your client. You know, I mean, I try to be really good about that. Um, I try to make it a point that I respond to clients within 24 hours. If they call and leave a voicemail, a message with me, if they email me, I try to get back to them within 24 hours. Um, because I know in the past, I've not been great about this. That sometimes somebody would, a uh, client would reach out to me and ask me things, you know, want to know what was going on or, or a question or whatever, and I wouldn't get back to them and it'd be a couple days. Um, and sometimes just that I forgot, I got busy, things got pushed down to my inbox. Sometimes it was a little more intentional. You know, maybe things weren't going so great in their case and I had to deliver some bad news. Um, or the client had a problem you know, wasn't really happy with something and I was trying to put off having to face it, having to deal with it. And, and, you know, you probably felt the same, you know, the same, uh, stresses that I have like this, that, um, you know, you've got bad news and you don't necessarily want to bring it up to the client. Um, you know, how far can I push this out? Maybe if I can temper this with some good news, Maybe that's, I'll wait till that happens or maybe I can take this bad thing and fix it. And so it's not really so bad anymore. You know, and so we wait and, you know, we're hesitant to get back and, and to respond and things like that. And, and unfortunately that's not a very good thing to do. Um, and ultimately um, most ethics complaints against sole and small firm lawyers often have a, um, an issue or a complaint in there about communication that the lawyer didn't communicate promptly with the client that they reached out and the client and the attorney didn't get back to them um, very promptly. Other communication issues. Um, maybe you're not making it easy for your clients to communicate with you. You know, um, I've called into law firms before where um, there is an automated message receptionist thing um, when you call in. You know, when it says, you know, for such and such a lawyer, press one to speak to this lawyer, press two for this person, press three and things like that. And I mean, I can understand why, why a firm would have that because you're trying to avoid the cost of a receptionist, but that can be very cold. You know, if you're a client and you want to speak to your lawyer or you're speaking to someone in the firm, you may call up and be frustrated because maybe you don't know who you need to talk to. 
maybe you have a billing question, but you don't know who the billing person is. Or you just want to call and talk to somebody and get directions to the courthouse, um, but you don't know who to call. Maybe you call the, try to call the lawyer, but the lawyer's not there and doesn't answer. Uh, and you can't figure out who do I talk to, you know, who do I need to reach out to to, um, to get this question answered about how do I get to the courthouse, you know, or what, what time is my hearing or, or, or things like that, you know. And it can be frustrated, frustrating. You know, um, you know, oftentimes we don't communicate how our clients liked us to. Nowadays, you know, and it depends on your client, but a lot of people like to like to communicate more and more. I'm noticing by text message, and there's some lawyers who flat out will refuse to respond or communicate at all via text message. Now, I have ground rules. You know, there are some things that I feel appropriate and some that aren't for for uh, text messaging. If someone's um, just you know reaching out quickly for something like that, um, you know for something that's non-substantive, uh, you know then that's fine. You know, send a text message um, as long as they realize that I may not respond right back right away. Okay? And that's a conversation for another episode. But if they want to talk, you know, if they want to send me a quick message real quick about something like, "Hey, uh, I'm going to be late to the meeting," you know, I'm on my way. That that's fine. That's cool. You know, by text message is great like that. Some lawyers, though, don't like that, you know, and, and again, I get if it's for something substantive, you don't want to have substantive legal conversations on text message, but there are some things that it's, it's probably fine for, and that may be how your client would prefer to communicate these issues to you, you know, um, maybe they want to communicate different times where you are unavailable, you know, maybe you're only available from certain times because you're in court all morning, you know. Um, and so maybe, but maybe the clients are not available any other time to call, but in the morning because of their jobs or, you know, their childcare situation or whatever, you know, maybe it's an hour issue. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that you want to be, you know, that you should be available 24 seven, but you know, it could be a situation where you got to figure out a way to, that your clients can communicate with you. Um, you know, other times when it works well for them, you know? Um, and, and the other thing, I've, sometimes I've, I, I've run into this situation a, a week or so ago, in fact, where I'll call a lawyer and I'll get to their message, voicemail and it's full. I'll call uh, and I get a message that this person's mess, you know, inbox is full and then click, it hangs up, right? And so I can't get a hold of them that way. Um, you know, they probably don't know that I called them. Uh, I can't leave a message for them to call me back or tell them what the issue was or whatnot. And, and, and so it's, it's almost like I didn't even call in the first place. And if they don't clear it out, if they don't realize it's full or, or whatever, this can continue on and on and on forever. Yeah. And, and the last thing about communications is not necessarily about talking back and forth with a client and then being able to reach you or things like that. But oftentimes as lawyers, we don't really listen to the clients and what they're trying to tell us. You know, the longer you practice and the more of a quote unquote expert you get in your particular area, the easier it is for you to see, um, to, to, to issue spot, to see what um, problems may be out there and to be able to diagnose situations. So, you know, if you've been practicing in a particular area long enough, when a client comes to you and says, hey, you know, let's say you do criminal defense or traffic traffic work, a client comes to you and say, hey, I got this 
I got pulled over for a DUI. Your first thing, it might be like, well, okay, so here is a situation like, you know, um, was a stop proper? You know, was there probable cause for the stop? Um, did they do any sobriety tests? Were those done properly? You know, like, you know, and go through all the different issues or things like that and try to figure out what you need to fight it and all these other things. And that's because you've just done it so long. You kind of kind of know what's going on, you know, what, what, how to handle these situations. But clients, they may not have the same issues, the same concerns um, that you think they do, or they may have different goals. You know, that, that DOI client, they may not really care about fighting it. They may say, yep, you know what? That was, I did it. I, but I really need to make sure that I maintain my license for work purposes. Like I'm, I'm fine if I have to, um, you know, do some sort of a, of a driver intervention program. Um, you know, if I have to have some sort of a interlock device on my car to breathe it, put it into like, I don't, you know, the fines, I'm not worried about that kind of stuff, but what I'm worried about is being able to have a vehicle to be able to drive my vehicle uh, because I need it for work or I need to be able to take my kids to school or to, you know, all these different things like that. You know, that's, what's really important to me. And oftentimes we don't listen to that. We get so carried away in what we think that they want that we don't actually listen to what they really do want. They're trying to tell us. And that is a communication problem on its own. Um, and you know, if you aren't really hitting what the client or hearing what the client's saying, chances are good they're not going to be very happy with you because you're going to miss stuff or, or not um, be able to meet their goals and their objectives um, and their expectations. Um, uh, which actually leads me into the second one, which is the failure to manage your client expectations. From the initial consult on, you have to manage expectations of your clients. In fact, one lawyer that I know actually says that as a lawyer, we are in the expectation management business, that that's what our job is to do is to manage the expectations of our clients. And that means things like managing the expected outcome for our clients. You know, how likely is it that they're going to be able to achieve or to accomplish what they want in this case? You know, if they, if they're that DUI client in your office, how likely is it that they're going to be able to get the case dropped completely? Or how likely is it that they're going to be able to keep their license and not get a suspension on it? You know, if the law is that, a, you know, a, a first offense of, a, of an OV, of a, excuse me, of a DUI case is a mandatory um, six month suspension, you know, there may be little that you can do for your client f- to help satisfy that. And so you need to let them know up front that while you understand that this is one of their goals or, real, that, you know, it's important to them, the likelihood of them getting this is very low. You know, maybe because of the law, it could be because of the particular judge that had that is going to be hearing the case, or the prosecutor on the other side. You know, whatever it might be, you need to be able to tell them. You know, how likely it is that they're going to be able to achieve their goals. Other expectations are things like communication. You know, how frequently you communicate. You know, your availability to be able to do work for them. Um, the how fast you're going to be able to turn things around for them. You know, that's often of an issue. And I've ran into this in the past where clients had a expectation for things being done at a certain speed, but, you know, because of other work that I had and and in other cases, I wasn't able to, to do it as fast as they thought I should. And so we had to have a talk about how fast that I realistically could turn, get uh, work turned around for them. 
and things like that. And again, those were all client expectations I just never talked about, you know, and they had a different expectation. Once we discussed it, then things were fine, um, but we had to manage that in the first place. Um, and, and fees and costs also sometimes can run into problems when it comes to expectations, um, which is actually the third part is your fees. Um, you know, the clarity of your fees. You know, clients almost across the board don't like surprise bills. They don't like getting a bill that they didn't expect. They don't like getting a bill that's significantly higher than what they expected it to be. Um, you know, and it could be that you didn't tell about it. Um, if you were doing hourly rate, um, you know, they didn't know how long it would, how much it could be. Maybe you gave them an estimate that was very low. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I don't like doing hourly billing. Um, because the clients get surprised and that can lead to them being unhappy. Um, you know, and oftentimes when an hourly fee, you don't find out about this until the end because the clients, it's, you know, pretty satisfied until they get that bill. And all of a sudden that can sour the client experience for them. And all of a sudden now you're wondering, why aren't they paying me? You know, we got the result they wanted. Um, everything seemed to be going great. The last time I talked to them, they were happy. Um, but when they got that bill, they saw it was higher than they expected and they didn't feel that it was fair for what they, with the result they got, they weren't happy with it. Um, you know, and I, and I personally don't like that and don't want that to happen. So I don't like having doing hourly billing for one one of the reasons. Um, clients also don't like, um, the, excuse me, clients also like to understand what they're being charged for. Um, oftentimes this can get into a problem um, if you're doing hourly billing, if you're not really clear about what you actually did for the time that you're billing for, you know, if you just have a point eight for email, uh, a client might question, what were you doing for that long on an email that took you, you know, 45 plus minutes or whatever, what were you doing that long on an email? Um, you know, it doesn't take you that long to read, a, to read a quick email to respond or something like that. Um, and so if you don't, if you're not clear about what they were billed for, or if you try to nickel and dime them on the bill, if you charge for copies, if you charge for little things like, you know, parking at the courthouse, stuff like that, uh, clients oftentimes will also, um, you know, not appreciate those things. And that'll also kind of sour the, the client relationship for them. All these things go towards how happy your clients are in working with you. And most of the time, it's not just did they win. You know, did the client get the solution looking for? Were you as a lawyer able to resolve their issue for them? You know, that's, that, that's, that's good, but that's not all of it. I've had situations where I've actually lost, where I've not been able to get the set, the result that my client wants, but yet my client was still very happy with my work. They paid promptly. They told others about it. Um, you know, even though I wasn't able to get what they hoped that they would get, um, it was because that they had a great client experience. You know, the result that you get is only a small portion of that experience. It's not the whole thing. There are a lot of other things that play a part of that too, all these details that we talked about. So here is the deal, okay? The little things matter. The little things, the details matter when it comes to your clients having a positive experience working with you. 
Now, you can decide to keep focusing on solving your client's problems. You know, that can be your main, you know, kind of with your tunnel vision, you know, goggles on. You're so you're going you can be 100% focused on solving client problems as the way that you're going to make them happy. And you may have some clients that walk out of your office with a big smile on your face when you win, you know, or when you get what they want went for them until they sit back and think about the experience that they had kind of in, in retrospect or when they get your bill. And then you may wonder why they don't come back for additional work for you, even though you know, or, or they are likely to have additional work you could help with or why they don't refer you to other people, their friends, their neighbors, family members, other people that might have situations or things like, that are similar to theirs that you could help with or why their bill is due and they still haven't paid you why you have to chase after them and you try to call and get no message or excuse me and get no response from them and have to leave messages why your letters your emails go unanswered for them when you're trying to see what's going on and see if they're going to pay their bills you know you can do that but focus so much on the results and let everything else go or you can take the time to consider the experience of your clients and working with you and try to get the little things right, those details. Because by and large, one detail, one little thing here and there is not going to make a big difference. But when you get multiple details wrong, when there's multiple issues like that, it starts adding up. Conversely, when you have a lot of positive details that you get right, you're going to end up with happy clients. And those happy clients are going to become fans and they're going to tell others about how great their experience was working with you. And when they do that, they're going to come back. You're going to get new clients. They're going to pay promptly. Your firm's going to be able to get, you're going to get all that money all, you know, from the referrals, from additional work. Your firm's going to be able to grow, right? The little things matter. And that's your takeaway for today's episode is that when it comes to having happy clients, the little things really do matter. It's not just, are you able to win for the client or get a positive or favorable result for the client? But are you doing the little things? Are you focusing on the little details too that can take uh, an experience from an okay, you know, it was fine, you know, not a big deal, you know, it was not great, but whatever sort of experience to one where they want to come back and work with you again. They want to tell their friends, the family about you. All right. That's today's episode. Thank you so much again for listening. I appreciate all your comments, all your uh, ratings, reviews um, that you've done on uh, Apple podcasts, all the sharing that you've done of these episodes. Again, I appreciate that. My goal here with these episodes is to be able to help as many people as I can. And so by you sharing, by you giving ratings and reviews, that helps me to do that. So again, I'm, I'm very grateful and appreciate that. Thank you again so much. And I will catch you on the next episode.